Welcome to another episode of Going Back, 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 the sports history podcast with all the sports stories you need to know and some you don't. This is one of your hosts, Brian Gay. With me is my co-host. With another night, thanks to all of you for checking us out. Another episode here. Uh, this week's sports stories will cover from October 15th to October 21st in history, along with some current stuff. Going to probably be a pretty heavy focus on baseball tonight as we are in the middle of the postseason, but then we'll definitely touch on some football and then hockey that just started up and then the nba is about to kick off as well yeah it's good to, great time to be a sports fan lots going on playoff baseball obviously we have a lot to cover with that uh we we did have a couple week hiatus there one of which was because you had no voice from uh being at the nlds here in philly yeah that was something i mean so before we get into that and touch more <laughs> on the most recent phillies games and where sure. we were um I just want to start off with a quick fact like we always do, and then we'll circle back around to that because I want to compare something. Sure. But first, Tony Gwynn, he produced more four-hit games, a total of 45, than multi-strikeout games, 35. He played 20 years. (laughs) Kyle Schwarber probably had that many multi-strikeout games this year alone. Yeah, at least. He might have that many this postseason, but they haven't played 35 games yet. I know. But hey, he's starting to heat up, so that kind of brings us to where we're at in baseball right now is with the Phillies. Um, I was down there for game three of the NLDS versus the Braves. The 10-2 to victory. Six home runs were hit. The place was just electric the whole time. I have have yet to been to a Philadelphia Phillies playoff baseball game since 2010 um, until this year. I was at one last year, but it was in Houston, so kind of a different vibe. Just being at a Phillies game at home is just something that you have to experience if you are a Phillies fan, even just a baseball fan, just because of how great the environment is. I think a baseball fan as a whole, especially if you're going to come in and just like at least join join the fun because, yeah, that was the environment. is uh, It's one thing when you see it on TV. So, Brian, you were also down there this past yes. Wednesday. Oh, my. Or Tuesday, excuse Tuesday me, night. versus the Diamondbacks and the 10 nothing. 10 nothing. Now, me personally... I thought the crowd was louder against the Braves. For me, I think there was just more like of an animosity built up towards oh, the Braves. Oh, 100%. Being a division rival. And yeah. when you get to go out there and just spank them 10-2, to 2, especially that was the game after the Orlando Arcia comment saying, boy Harper. And then you got the famous picture of Harper staring him down as he rounds second base after his second homer of the night. It just felt like it was louder that night to me. Um, my ears were ringing once I got in the car, and it was like actual silence with my brother. Right. So it was just, just crazy. Well, so I, could, I want to pitch it to you, Brian. That was your first time down there mm-hmm. for a Phillies playoff game. Give me your thoughts. What, where are you at with it? Yeah, so in regards to your comment on the Braves, I 100% see that being the case. I mean, there is a true animosity. Um, this could be a really awesome rivalry um, for the next few years. Like for a long time... It's been the Phillies Mets. The Mets have seemed to be the most hated team around here for a while, but this series really, I think, kicked it up with the Braves. Um, but from my yeah, my experience, so prior to this, my only postseason experience of seeing games live, um, one was I got to go to some NCAA tournament games um back home in college. And then Buffalo Bills uh was at their wild card route of the Patriots, forty nine to fourteen or whatever, negative fifteen degrees. That was pretty wild. On the grand scheme of things, this might have been like the greatest sporting whatever I've ever been to. Just it was something di- I've, as we've said numerous times on this, like I think base- baseball has been my first love and my real true love of, of a sport. Yeah, that makes two of us. And it was just different because you go to a ball game during the, the regular season, it might get loud and rowdy if like the teams are your team's looking good, 
but it's not like like football every week at like a Bills home game is a party. It's loud, it's rowdy, it's crazy. Baseball, you don't really get that. So to get there, and I was set, we were set up in four thirty, so up in the left field, the high high up in left field, uh, third row in four thirty. Great seats, you can see the whole field. But I think what was really awesome about sitting up there was just seeing the crowd, feeling that energy. Um, you feel the players feeding off of it. You feel everybody else feeding off of it. It was hands down one of the greatest I think experiences of my life in general. Like just the rush, the energy. Um, it was truly something different that, you know, it's, it, it was worth the money, the traffic, all of the above. I would do it again in a heartbeat. Um, and then the, to obviously smack them 10, nothing, um, was great. Just, just awesome. Just Schwarber heating, heated up. Uh, hopefully you can keep that going. Yeah. We don't need to talk about the three hours it took from Westchester to get to the stadium. We'll was, just keep talking about it. It was only about two fifteen, fortunately. But by the time we got in and like, uh, we're, no. we're in the stadium, yeah, we, we did park a ways away and had a 15 minute walk, but yeah, still we got there not too, too long before, uh, before the first pitch, but it was again, totally worth it. We got home in about 45 minutes. So that was cool. That was the nice part, but uh, granted it was also just the, uh, the nature of the beast with the, um, Mexico versus Germany, international soccer friendly at the link and yeah, then poor planning. flyers. Yeah. Flyers home game, uh, home opener. There's not much you can do there. The Flyers home opener, I don't think, would have caused that much of an issue. Maybe no, 15, it was definitely people. the soccer game. The Mexican fans came out in full force. I think, I mean, I didn't read anything, but I believe there was like 65,000 is the number they estimated. Yeah, I believe so. It sounded like they just about sold out the link, um, which is pretty wild for a friendly. So, you know, shout out to the Mexican fans and I guess the German fans that were there, but they were not nearly as prevalent walking through the parking lot. Yeah, as we saw were the Mexican flags all around. So I think so, probably a heavy Mexican population at the game that night. So basically, too, I digress. Um, if, you're, if you've heard about, if you're paying attention to baseball, you've heard about the atmosphere in Philly. You've seen it on TV and it seems pretty cool on TV. It is just every bit as cool, if not cooler than you, it, you'd think it would be. It's just something you don't see at other ballparks too. Like everybody stands the whole time. Yeah. The only time you sit is in between innings. Yep. And what I really like about it too is, I mean, it's fun to get on the pitcher, you know, chanting their first name or last name, whatever Merrill, flows better. Merrill. I mean, what did Merrill Kelly expect? Like you can't sit here and say that the loudest he's ever heard a ballpark was when it was a world baseball classic game, USA versus Venezuela and Trey Turner hits a home run. I will say like I, that's a challenge to the Phillies. I did find it pretty amusing though fans. that he said that and we got on him, but every time we chanted his name, he piped in a yeah, usually beautiful a pitch. pitch. Um, he actually threw a heck of a game. It's just that the three hits he gave up were all home runs. Yeah. And I don't think that's ever been done before. If I remember reading like a stat the other day. Yeah. It's pretty wild. Um, just it's, it's very cool. That it ended up the way it did, um, and then they really broke it open with uh, the four run. What was it? Four in the sixth and four in the seventh. Or f- correct. Yeah, it just really and opened then the it up. Was a almost a one. I think it was a one two three. Yeah, Jake Cave got thrown out trying to trying stretch to a stretch double into a triple. <laughs> yeah, not uh not ideal, but hey, you your know, time to shine. Go for it. Yeah, right? why not stretch it out? If you get the triple, you get the triple. The place goes. The place was going nuts. The energy throughout was just awesome. Um. Yeah, go Phillies. Now, the one thing I will say, just between the comparison between the two, I think it was louder at the Braves game because it, there was those six home runs. Like, yes, the Phillies scored 10 in each game, but the way they did it was different. 
they manufacture those runs by base hits and like getting on base and knocking them in with singles and doubles. Like, yeah, the crowd enjoys that and is in favor of it. Obviously, we're scoring runs, but there's something about hitting a home run at Citizens Bank Park in the postseason that just like ignites the crowd and we gets saw, it going. I mean, well, so the game started off with the Trey Turner error. Then bottom of the first, he turns around and turns on one and one nothing fills. Yeah, and then Schwarber hits one. And then Schwarber. We saw it was three total, right? It was yeah, the two Schwarbers and the trade. Yep. And Schwarber's first time run was not a, a Schwarbaum. That was a yeah, that was a, just a line drive. Laser. Missile. Line drive that just didn't want to come down. And then we got the uh, trademark Schwarbaum. Yeah, that one was uh, see you later. Off the bat, towering. It's crazy because he hits these towering shots, and they get measured at 450 plus feet. You imagine if it had less, hol- less loft and more... A better launch angle. That yeah, thing it looks is, like my drives on the golf course. What the law amount of loft? Or yeah, that? I need to get <laughs> less loft on it. Uh, more okay. penetrating right. ball flight, so I don't lose so much distance. That's fair. That's fair. I also think it's fair that we just watched Francisco Lindor drinking a beer on the beach while the uh, doing the, the playoffs. Yeah, hilarious. Shout Tom, out to those commercials. Tom and I may or may not have Game Three on uh, in the background right now. Uh, so if we sound somewhat distracted, <laughs> it's because we are. It's because we are. But we do have a lot of a lot of fun baseball to talk about, a lot of uh, some interesting football stories that came around uh, this week. Was a lot of ugly games, yeah, a lot of unexpected losses around the league. Yeah, I mean, the Eagles had a I mean, number one being right here in Philadelphia. A lot of a lot of stuff going on in Philly sports, but that Jets loss was not great. But I can't say anything. They did beat the Bills as well early on. Yeah, and the Niners, I think, losing in Cleveland to the Browns that, that might have been a great one, bigger loss because they did it to. Well, I guess Wilson yeah, is no, all or Wilson no, is Deshaun also Watson, right? No Deshaun Watson, and it, they did. We're running with the kid out of UCLA. I don't know what happened there, but it was PJ Walker. Yeah, PJ Walker came in, and uh, you know I don't love the Browns, but I do love watching undefeated teams lose. So yeah, both the undefeated teams went down, and I do without much of a. Uh, I can't I, say without much of a fight because no. they were close games, but like they were ugly. Yeah, they were definitely ugly games. There's just a lot of ugly football. I mean, the Bills barely scraped it out against the Giants, and that really only happened because the Giants played awful on the goal line or in the red zone. They couldn't convert. Bill should have lost that game. Um, yeah. I mean, well, actually, let's go back to the Browns. You know, although the game was ugly, those unis are not. That all-white getup with the white helmet and the uh, orange and brown stripe, real fresh. That was like the Tampa Bay Buccaneers. They had the creamsicle jerseys back out. I love the creamsicle. I mean, I'm a fan of the – I've always been a fan of the color orange. Uh, so I'm a little biased towards some of those jerseys, like the Orioles. Love their getup as well. Uh, there's actually very few instances of orange I don't enjoy in professional sports, one of which is the Flyers. Yeah, I was going to say, Flyers. <laughs> we got one here in Philly for you. I know. I just had to throw that out there. But um, back on the topic of playoff baseball, I I feel pretty comfortable with where the, uh, the Phillies are headed with this series. The Diamondbacks have a lot of cool young talent, I think, in another year or two. It's going to be a really scary team. Corbin Carroll is one of the most exciting players in all of baseball, and he's only twenty three. And he just he signed a, like a long term deal this this year at some point too, like eight years, hundred million or so, kind of like the Braves did with the Cunha yeah. type. Deal. Which is unfortunate because I would just selfishly would love to see some of these guys hit the market. Um, you can't tell me you wouldn't love to have a piece like Corbin Carroll <laughs> patrolling left field for your team. No, yeah, that I or mean, center that would be right. awesome to replace Kyle Schwarber in the future, but. You also have to draft well within, and yeah. that's what the Phillies have done. They have Justin Crawford, Carl Crawford's son. Who who sounds like he's actually turning out to be a much better prospect more quickly than they anticipated. 
It's it does seem that way. His issue though is he just beats everything into the ground, but he's so fast it doesn't matter. He still hit like over three hundred this year. So if he can learn how to just elevate the ball, and I think that will just come in time as he gets you know matures and grows into his body and isn't a high school kid anymore. That should come over time. Yeah, because he's he, only what nineteen. Develops. Yeah, he, I mean he was a draft out of high school, so yeah. Um, on the other side of baseball, you got the battle of for te- battle of Texas. You got the Rangers, you got the Astros. Uh, personally, you know, like I, th- I think I, we're all sick of the Astros at this point. Yeah, but I almost want to see Houston win for um, two reasons. One, I would like to just get revenge from last year yeah, and the storyline just beat them great. again. Two, um, since I did have the Sunday plan, shout out to my wife for getting that for me. Um, I was granted one postseason game each round by the Phillies, so I have World Series Game Three. And if the Phillies play the Astros, that would mean game six of the World Series. So that could be a potential, like, clincher, Phillies up 3-2. That could be cool. Now, if they face the Rangers, it would be game five because the... So all three teams have the same record. So at that point, it then comes down to -to head-to-head throughout the season. And since they don't play many games against each other, I think it was like two, three-game series the teams played. Yep. One verse, one three games yeah, with each. Boat raced by the Rangers in the beginning of the season. Yeah, that was the opening weekend. We got swept. Yeah, it was like, oh, great. Here we go. And then I believe we beat the Astros two to one. So, because of that, depending who comes out of the AL, if the Phillies are fortunate enough to come out of the NL, which Brian and I were both in agreement, think that will happen given how the series has played out so far. I would prefer to see the Astros because I think game six would be better than seeing game five. Unless we're going to do what they did in 2008, and that would be win in five anyway. Which I think, you know, either one is cool because you could get a clinching game for either as long as the Phillies don't go out here and try to sweep them. Yeah, I mean, <laughs> and with the way they're playing, like, it's not just their offense. Their offense is being what's talked about all the time because of the numbers they're putting up. Sure. The pitching has been just as good. Well, they're in this right now because of their pitching because they are not hitting the ball well. They are not getting runners on. Um, they've been pretty effectively shut down today. Their only run is because of that wild pitch. I mean, when you put up 10 runs, it's kind of like you're not going to put up 10 runs again if you do. Something went wrong on the other side. Yeah. And this is play up. These guys are here for a reason. This is play up baseball. Like, you know, the Diamondbacks hadn't lost until the last two games throughout the playoffs. Like, they've been very good. Yeah. I mean, when you go in and you go into Milwaukee, you, you win both games in the wild card round, and then you go to LA, being up on Clayton Kershaw. Let's talk about that for a second. Clayton Kershaw, probably one of the best pitchers in our generation. You could say, Brian, I don't he think could it's argue, hard to argue he could that. arguably go in a conversation of the top pitcher and in his of, of his time period. But like I think he's very well on his way to Cooperstown. But, yeah, but I would say so. What he's done in the playoffs is just like mind-boggling. Like, what happens? Like, you're this lights-out pitcher, and then come postseason, it just like all falls apart? Yeah. I. You know what? I can't really speak on it. I, I don't know if it's like uh, just a mental block or – he just loses gas at the end of the year, but I mean, it's it's un. I, I part of me wants to say it's unfortunate for them, but also like I really dislike the Dodgers, so I don't care that it happens to them. Um, but I think you know, just for the game, is you hate to see it like that. A guy like you said could very arguably be a Hall of Famer. I don't know what his numbers look like compared to other Hall of Fame pitchers. Um. But I think I know he has a pretty solid, steady track record. Uh, but you hate to see him fall apart when it matters. So regular season, 
425 games pitched, 210 wins, 92 losses, 2.48 ERA. That's very good. Bring it to the postseason. He's made 39 appearances, 32 of them starts. Um, in those outings, he has a 13-11 record with a 4.49 ERA, so about two full runs higher. Um, and he's pretty much made a whole career out of the postseason. He's thrown 194 innings. So 13-11, 4-4-9, that's like a four-starter, four I guess you could say, in today's MLB. Yeah, yeah, that would be like With the other being like fine. ace level. Yeah, yeah, with his regular season season... Um, track record being yeah, yeah like a bona fide number one yeah yeah it's fascinating that you see such a such drop off um because it, it's got to be a pressure thing like his the mental is just not there for that you know and you know it is what it is some guys are built some people have it some people don't and not everybody has the mamba mentality no and you can't like you can work on your headspace and the mental side of sports but like i feel like you either have it or you don't like, i played with some guys who just like they just had a different mindset when it came to the way they approached the game, being on the field, being on the court, whatever it may be. Um, they didn't let the pressure get to them. And personally, I was a bit of a head case. Uh, I overthought situations and overthought things. So, uh, you know, I'm not sure that this would have been my uh, my forte either. Now, so we can swing over to the AL here with the yes, AL, sir. the Rangers and Astros, like we said, the Rangers, they took care of business facing the Tampa Bay Rays, beat them in two games, then yep. went and faced the Baltimore Orioles, also took care of business on the road both both times, swept I say they the swept Orioles them. as well. Astros, they were fortunate enough to have one of the first-round buys to not have to play a wild-card round, so they had to face the Minnesota Twins to start, and they won in four games, I believe. They, they lost one of the games to Minnesota and then took it in four. I think they lost game one, actually. Yeah, I believe you're that you you are correct because the Twins had not won a playoff game since 2004, um, and that was the first one they had won since then. Yeah, they won in four, um, won three games to one. So that brings us to where we're at now: Astros versus the Rangers. Astros are trailing in the series two to one after having the first two games at home. It's always tough to lose those first two games and go on the road. I feel like the Rangers might have squandered an opportunity last night to really. Take really? full control of the series. Yeah, you put your pedal, the, put the pedal to the metal. You give the Astros a, you know, a breath of fresh air, a new sign of life, perhaps. Now you got game four tonight. We'll see what comes of it. I think the Astros might win again tonight and make it a two-two series with game five in Texas tomorrow. I mean, I could very much see that just because the Astros are pesky. They stick around and they play very good, solid baseball. They have a lot of really good pieces. Jordan Alvarez is just mashing the ball right now. I mean, there's a reason why the Astros are in their seventh consecutive league championship series. Yeah. Because they're a great team. Well, and it's it's frustrating because obviously they're like, t- ooh, they're tainted by the... That's uh, a bad call that did not that yeah. went in the Phillies' favor. That should have been a strike three. Yeah, that's why their mascot's freaking out. But, sorry, go ahead, Brian. Back to you. <laughs> um, Man, I don't even know where I was because I got caught off, caught, caught off by that. Uh, I mean, we were just talking about how good the Astros oh, are. Well, so the Astros, I mean, obviously there's the stink and the taint of their cheating scandal, but, like, this is a very different team from that. Oh, he made up for that. That was a, another bad call. But I digress. Um, there's that stink that's hung over them since then, but it is a very different team outside of, realistically, Altuve and Bregman. Which were the two biggest cheaters of the bunch. I know, who claimed that they weren't. Um 
And, and but I think you just everyone outside of Astros fans just can't stand the team. Like we, I just I have no interest in the Astros. I mean, I want I want the Phillies to be able to play them and get the revenge, but I don't think I'm just tired of seeing them. I'd rather see the Rangers make it just from like as a sports fan, but I just. I don't know what to expect. It seems like a very even series. What's going on down there? Yeah, I, I mean, I think I'd just rather face the Astros because of the revenge factor. Yeah, I think it'll add more. It'll just add a little more oomph to every matchup. Add a little more story storyline to the World yeah, Series. Yeah, easier, easier to heckle them too. Um, now with the Rangers, like if they do win tonight, and then like say they win Game Five, like that's not ideal deal because you want the i personally want to see this that series go seven games like i want them to beat each other up i want their pitching to get out of whack where they're not lining up their number ones for game one of the world series so it gives the phillies an advantage now with that said i'm not just penciling the phillies into the world series i do obviously think that they will advance and get past the diamondbacks but i'm not going to take it for granted baseball anything can happen i mean sports anything can happen who thought that the Patriots would lose their undefeated season in the Super Bowl to the Giants that year? Like, right, and on the back that's of why you like play the game, on the back of like the ridiculous helmet catch by David Tyree, just so you know things happen, and that's part of the reason we love sports. Yeah, that's why you play instead of just assuming what might happen on paper. Yeah, so it's why you finish it out, fin- always finish it out, play hard. You never know what could happen, where the game could take you. So, um, speaking of where things can take us, we're going to take our little break here. Hear a quick word from our sponsors. We'll get back to you with some fun sports stories, little football talk. We got a lot of action coming back to you on the other side of this break. This episode of Going Back, Back, Back is brought to you by Rucci Heating and Cooling LLC, located in Glen Mills, Pennsylvania. For all of your heating, air conditioning, and plumbing needs, call the professionals today at 484-849-1015. Rucci Heating and Cooling LLC, the one-stop call for your business and or home. Call them again at 484 484- Eight four nine one zero one five, and we are back. How's it going, Brian? We're back from our little break there. We sure are. It's it's going. Craig Kimbrell's on the mound. He walked the first batter. I don't love it. I mean, this umpire's been a little brutal. This umpire's been very bad. Scott Fransky did warn me on my drive home that he is not notoriously not known for being a balls and strikes umpire. Better known for leading the crew from out in the uh, in the field. Yeah, not great for what you want to see for Craig Kimbrell, who can be a little wild and erratic at times on the mound there. Yeah, don't really want to see Effectively the either. But, oh well. We we talk plenty of Phillies, and I actually do. I'm not going to lie. One of my one of my historical facts is Phillies-related. Uh, it's just time of year. Works out nicely. Um, so, yeah, we got some good sports stories to talk about. Yeah, before um, we dive into those, Brian, let's talk about this beer for a second. Sure. Conchi Brewing, the Puddler's Row. My first time having it, I think it's yours as well. Yeah, I think so. This to me is like a, a lighter version of a Yingling. And I'm a big fan of Yingling. Think that's a great beer. So I'm enjoying this one a lot tonight. Yeah, it definitely has a um and not to totally throw this off, but I'm pretty sure the ball just lost its cover. Or Guriel just lost something. Oh, his armband. Um Yeah, it's definitely got like a maltier flavor than um, I mean, obviously, we've gone pretty IPA heavy, so it's got a definitely maltier, a little sweeter flavor. I believe it says it's like an English style bitter. Yeah, English good, style bitter. A good beer for the fall. I don't know. Yeah, either way, good fall beer, a little darker without getting too dark. I'm here for it. It's working for me. Um, definitely worth checking out Contra Hawk and Brewing Company if you're in the area. 
for sure. All right, um, so what do we got tonight, Brian? We got stories from... Stories from October 15th to October 21st. Got a couple of fun ones for you here. All right, who's leading us off tonight, Brian? Uh, you are going to lead us off this time. All right, that works. So let's go back to October 15th, 1988. Uh, one of the more iconic home runs in Major League Baseball postseason history was hit by Kurt Gibson of the LA Dodgers. Um, he happened to have injuries to both legs, so he wasn't starting at the time. Um, he came off the bench hit a home run off of one of the better relief pitchers in MLB history, Dennis Eckersley of the Oakland A's. Uh, so the Dodgers were trailing 4-3 to three at the time, and there were two outs in the game. He hits a walk-off home run to win the game 5-4. Uh, to four. So yes. this is one of those that you can just like picture because you've seen it so many times around postseason baseball. He's just like hobbling around the bases, like fist pumping, and the crowd's just going like berserk. One of those things you just always... Now, neither of us were born, so I can't say I remember it, but... It's just one of those moments that you just know about because you always see it. Yeah, it's definitely a very historic, um, very historic sporting event, um, especially very historic for baseball. And it was a really cool story because Kirk Gibson was kind of on the back end of his career at this point. Um, he was very, like you said, hobbling. Um, his knees had really started to give out on him, so there wasn't a whole lot expected of him. So to go out here and hit this home run off of a you know Hall of Famer, um, it's just fascinating. Since so looking here to look at the story, it, it refers to Gibson limping back and forth between a pulled left hamstring and a swollen right knee. Um, that just sounds got, painful. Got behind, yeah, right. Got behind O two in the count, laid off a pair of outside pitches to get to two and two. Cut the count at two and two by falling off a pitch, and then the seventh pitch of the at bat, the runner stole second, and then with an awkward, almost casual swing, as you see it in the video, like it does not look like a strong swing. Um, yeah, he somehow just belts it to right field and yep. ball game. Took a backdoor slider, 3-2 out over right field. Um, and G- Kurt Gibson does attribute it to his his studying. Like he knew that historically that's a pitch that Eckersley throws in that position, and it worked out for him, and we now have one of the most iconic. That him running around uh, between first and second base, pumping his fist as he's slowly making his way around is just truly iconic and it's baseball baseball history yeah with those types of injuries it's kind of wild that he was able to make it around the bases yeah i know it's uh it's pretty fascinating uh, that he was able to do any of that all right so october 20th 1993 uh, we're going to be sticking in the world of baseball because it is uh this was the time of the world series um for many years uh, before the wild card rounds were extended X, Y, and Z. Uh, this was when the World Series was going on. The highest scoring game, uh, World Series game, occurred on October 20th, 1993, as the Toronto Blue Jays would score six runs in the eighth inning to defeat the Phillies 15 to 14 in a four hour and 14 minute slugfest at Veterans Stadium here in Philadelphia. Man, that's a brutal loss. Yeah, it's brutal, especially when you take, on, take into account the fact that of those 15 runs, so the Toronto had 15 runs on 18 hits, they didn't hit a single home run. Wow. That's something. The Phillies had nice play by Trey. Threw him out at home. Wow. Stupid purple hair. Saves the game for now. Looks like a troll. Lord's Guriel is having a heck of a game, so I can't say too much. But, yeah, so 15-14, 18 hits for Toronto, 14 hits for the Phillies. Um, Mitch Williams and a few other pitchers contributed to the loss, um, one of which actually also being Larry Anderson. Uh, giving up six runs in the eighth. They were up 14 to nine, gave up six runs to go on and lose it. Two death threats were actually directed towards Mitch Williams and were phoned into Veterans Stadium. As soon as it became apparent 
that they were going to lose. He was going to be the losing pitcher. Um, not ideal. Uh, <laughs> no, I mean, Philly fans are well notated for. Although stuff I do think done. that I do think that's changing a bit. I think it should be based on what's happening around here over the past few years. Yeah, I mean, you can't really judge a fan base on what happened in the nineteen no, fifties, sixties, seventies. Somebody that snowballs at Santa, like I'm somebody that did, but now that I live amongst it, I uh, I think it's fully. Un- I mean, it was deserved. I think it's gotten better. Um, yeah, I mean, I don't think anybody would have saw the standing ovation for Trey Turner no, 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 years ago. Um, one last fun fact about that game is actually this was the first Major League Baseball or, or the first World Series game to feature an African-American umpire as, uh, behind home plate as Charlie Williams became the first African-American to serve as the home plate umpire um, in this specific game. So very cool. Fun fact. Uh, that's a cool one. I did not know that either. So No, it's kind of crazy that it took till 1980, but really when you think about it in the grand scheme of things, it was about... That was 1993. S- that was 93, you are correct. So, I mean, still... 29 years after the Civil Rights Act. Um, took a while. But it happened. Now, led the way for a lot of other uh, a lot of other great umpires. Sure and, has. And um, C.B. Buckner. Yeah, minus C.B. Buckner. <laughs> um, Angel Hernandez, I'll just stop. Um, yeah. So October 16th, 2016. Um, Ed Whitlock, at the age of 85 years old, becomes the oldest person to run a marathon in under four hours. Brian, I just hope I'm able to walk around the block at 85. Dude, I'm 30 and couldn't run a marathon at all, let alone under four hours. Yeah, it would probably take me about 12. Yeah, so Ed Whitlock, I know you're out there listening at 92, uh, 93 years old. Appreciate you. <laughs> yeah, three hours, 56-minute time. Good work, sir. That's very impressive. Something uh, I will never accomplish in my life. Even no. in my greatest time, I was running a six-minute and, like, 35-minute mile. And that was one mile. Yes, that was one, <laughs> not 26. Not 26. Two. Yeah, I don't... Shout out to people that do that because I, even when I was in really like really good shape and stuff, running just to run never, never did it for me. I, I never understood it. it. I hated it. That's why I think I played sports a lot. But shout out to people that do run, that do run marathons. It is a really cool task. You should be really proud of the uh, accomplishment because um, that is a lot. That's a very intense uh, endeavor. So very cool fact. 85 years old, f- under four hour marathon. Shout out to Ed. All right. What do you got next, Brian? I'm throwing it back to October 19th, 1957. Montreal Canadian Maurice Rocket, the Rocket Richard, became the first NHL player to score 500 goals. So um, a number of players have gone on to do this and best it since then. Uh, but being the first, he was truly special. Uh, the first guy to really come out here and be a true, like, sniper, type. sniper, true high-end scorer. And um, he spent his entire career, he spent his whole career doing it with the Canadians. Uh, he spent 18 years in Montreal as a player, would actually later go on to serve in their front office for quite a while. Played nine, 978 games and had 966 career points in that time span. So honestly, 978 games sounds kind of low, but I don't know how long the seasons were back then. But 966 points, almost one point per game in your career. That's a phenomenal uh phenomenal stat line you know that's a, you had a very good career and there's a reason that the um that since 1999 the nhl has been giving out the maurice rocket richard trophy to the number uh, top goal scorer in the nhl every year um you're a big hockey guy i'm sure you're pretty familiar with this uh yes yeah, so that average out to like 54 games a season at this day and age they play 82 so, so. There, there is some there are some things that played into it um one of which was although he was known for being a uh, high, great player, great goal scorer. 
Um, and that's the game. Greg Kimball blew it. Well, yeah, I mean, you know, I didn't expect a sweep from the get-go, so it's no. not much of a surprise that they lost the game. They no. had three hits. You're not yeah. going to win many baseball games when you only have three hits. No, and between, yeah, I don't know. I, I turned you and said when Kimbrell took the mound that didn't like where this was headed. I don't trust him at all, to be honest, especially this doesn't, didn't help that. But all right. Um, yeah, 54 games per season. Uh, not a whole lot. I don't know if they were playing 82 back then, but... Yeah, they couldn't have been. At one point, although, like how, as I was saying, he is a great, great goal scorer. He was known to actually have a bit of a violent streak. Um, at one point, he did hit an official, which led to him being suspended for the rest of that season. So you missed... I don't know how when in the season that happened, but it did happen. Um, led to a mini-riot in Montreal when that happened. Um, and it was a... Uh, but... For, he was really known for being a scorer. He was the first player ever to score 50 goals in his team's 51st games. He's actually one of only five players to ever do it. Tom, do you have any? Do you think you could guess who the other players would be? I believe one is Austin Matthews. Um, potentially, if this list might not be updated. Let me see. Okay, so Alex Ovechkin. Yes, will be no, this, guess. this goal is definitely. This list is definitely not updated. And let's see. Here we go. Now I got it. Um. Yeah. Okay. So there's five players in eight different seasons that have reached that mark. So it's 50 goals in 50 games. 50 goals within the first fi- within the first 50 or fewer games of the team's season. Okay. Wayne Gretzky is definitely one. Yep. Um. I don't think. I guess Matthews and Ovechkin, but I don't think neither of them have done it. Yeah. After thinking about that a little more, uh, Mario Lemieux, Gary um, Yager. Let's see. Sorry, I, I got away from it real quick. It is Lemieux. Yes, Lemieux did it. 54 goals in 50, 50 games. Um, say maybe like Brett Hall? Uh, I don't know. Brett Hall did it twice. 50, okay. In 1990-91 season, 52 and 50 games. So that's three of them? Yeah. So and there's then 50 two and 50. more? Yeah, so you got Gretzky, Lemieux, Hall, obviously Richard. So there's actually right. really one left. Okay. Uh, is he before or after 1990? Before. Played on one of the powerhouse. I'm uh, thinking Mark Messier. No, uh, it's um, he's on the Islanders. He was Mike Bossy. Mike Bossy is correct. That was pretty good. There's a few guys that did it like in their, um, in their first 50 games, not their teams. Um, like Yari Curry scored 50 goals, or scored 50 goals in 50 games. Alexander Mulgillney did it in 46 games, but 46 he played 53. The team played. Lemieux had a season where he had 48, 50 goals in 48 games, but the Penguins had played 72 at that point. And then Cam Neely actually scored 50 goals in 44 games, uh, but he, the team had played 66 at that point. I thought that uh, McDavid had done it, but... As, as good as McDavid is, he puts up a lot more assists. I mean, that's he's fair. a very good goal scorer too, but that's, that's what I feel like the majority too. of his points are assists. Yeah, that would make sense. But that's what Gretzky did as well, so that makes sense. Um, but, yeah, just pretty cool. Um, you know, you kind of known for being a scorer, but also had a mean streak. I think that it was just kind of the era of the day, and Maurice Richard fit it to a T. So going to jump ahead to October 18th, 1974. Nate Thurmond of the Chicago Bulls recorded the first ever quadruple double in NBA history. His stat line that night was 22 points. 14 rebounds, 13 assists, and 12 blocks all against the Atlanta Hawks. Those are video game numbers. Yeah, it's something when you're playing like 
my, I don't know, what's the... My player. Yeah, the my player version of yeah. NBA. I remember playing NBA Live, but it's 2K now. Um, <laughs> yeah. NBA yeah. Live was awesome. Love playing that game. NBA Street, that was a lot of fun, too. Oh, man. One of the, the street games are great. NFL Street, NBA Street. I prefer the NBA Street because you play with, like, the uh, the ABA teams, like the Brooklyn... Well, oh, the throwbacks, the Brooklyn Nets, the Spurs. Yeah. The Spurs came from the ABA. The Pacers came from the ABA. Yeah, so you play with, like, oh, yeah. looks like a Julius Serving, but, like, wasn't, but, like, was. I don't know. That was that was one of my favorite <laughs> games growing up, the NBA Street. Um, so, yeah, video That's game numbers that you, like, don't you don't ever see quadruple doubles no, in the NBA. When, when you think about the amount of talent that's in the league and the amount of guys that can do a lot of things, you don't see quadruple doubles happening very often at all. So, Brian, if you had to guess how many other quadruple doubles there were, how many would you guess? Part of me wants to say, like, there's, like, less than 10. That would be accurate. Okay. Uh, I want to say four. Uh, that is correct. No shit. So, you got Nate Thurman, the stat nice. line I just gave you, Alvin Robertson. Okay. Nate. The other two are probably possible name. I don't, I don't, I've never heard of Alvin Robertson before. So I never would have guessed that one. Okay. His stat line was 20 points, 11 boards, 10 dimes, zero blocks, but he had 10 steals. Um, I'm so, trying to think of who else might have, might have potentially done this. So there's two more. Hakeem Olajuwon rings a bell. That would be one. He had 18 nice. points, 16 boards, 10 dimes, 11 um, blocks. And the other one, this feels like a David Robinson stat line. 34 points, 10 boards, 10 dimes, 10 blocks. Two, really? Two steals. Did I get them both? You sure did. Nice. I swear I didn't even look that up. That's pretty cool. Hey, two for two. Look at us. I just like, you know, I was, I've, I'm sure I've clearly heard that fact at some point, but those are two guys who were just different. Like David Robinson was just such an athletic freak um, and just all, overall all around great basketball player. But so was Olajuwon. So, wow, I'm proud of myself. Yeah, I don't think you would have gotten Alvin Robertson. I that never would have got him. I'm familiar with the name, but I know I would have never guessed that. That's pretty cool. Um, Let's see. Alvin Robertson, who did he even play for? He was a buck at one point. Or I might be thinking Oscar Robertson. Uh, and it's also, yeah. Oscar. I clicked on Alvin Robertson, but it took me to just a stat line of a game and not his actual. Oh, well, while NBA you're looking that up, page. I'm going to throw you my last, last fun fact, fun story for the evening. Um, and. This is going to go back to October 21st, 1980. Yeah, Spurs, Bucks, and then Pistons and Raptors to close out his career. Raptors? Okay, so he was playing into the 90s. Yeah, he played 95-96 was his last season at the age of 33. So when did he get the quadruple double? Wait, he only played till he was 33. Yeah, so he missed the 93-94 and 94-95 season because of a back injury. Okay. And then played 95-96 in 77 games, and then looks like he retired after that. He might actually be, I believe it or not, have a opening season Toronto Raptors program <laughs> in this room right now. He's probably in there. So he had that quadruple double. Let's go back here. I'm just yeah. I'm genuinely curious when he would have done that. Uh, February 18th, 1986, when he was playing with the Spurs. Wow, I really would have thought this was a lot longer ago than that. So that's pretty interesting. That would have been his second year in the league. He um, debuted as rookie in 84-85. Hey, well, he's got that really cool stat for him. So. Shout out to El- Elvin Robertson. And which is wild. He only averaged like six rebounds a game, five assists a game. And the other one was steals, right? What was it? What I think was... he said steals, yeah. Steals, he averaged 3.7 a game. That's actually really good. Yeah, that sure is. I guess, I guess he's more of a defensive player. Just kind of a role, not a, not a scorer, but 
played his part, played his role for yeah, sure. Average, I mean, averaged 17 points a game. And that season or for his career? That season. So for his wow. career, he averaged 14 a game. Uh, I would say his rookie year at 9.2, and then like his last three or four years in league under 10 points is what that brought that total down. But from 85, 86 to 91, 92, he was over 12 points or more a game. He's also only six foot four. <laughs> I'm like out here picturing a big guy because all the other ones are are big guys. Yeah, six four, one eighty five, shooting wow. guard. Oh, put some respect on that name. Shout out Elvin Robertson. Yeah, no, that that would have been the last person I would have guessed. I yeah, I would have never pulled that name out of. I would have thought maybe like a Scotty Pippen type or yeah, something more like that. Like I don't think MJ would have done something like that. I don't think Kobe, no. LeBron. No, my other thought would have been like that's something you'd see like a like Jokic do, or like a Wilt Chamberlain. See, or a Wilt, yeah, Wilt or Kareem or Magic Johnson, maybe one of those guys. Um, but you know, we'll see. Maybe it'll pop up again down the road. All right, October twenty first, nineteen eighty. I think you might know where I'm going with this. The Philadelphia Phillies beat the Kansas City Royals four to one at Veterans Stadium to secure their first World Series title, four games to two. Uh, the MVP, none other than Michael Jack Schmidt. Um, because of course, I mean, I feel like that's just a no brainer. Yeah. I mean, I, I don't know who else, maybe Steve Carlton. Uh, yeah. I mean, you could have argued, I mean, Pete Rose was on the team. I don't think he, he wasn't like contributing to the point where he was the best player on the team anymore. That was towards the tail end of his career. Yeah. Well, the greatest third baseman of all time was a, a shoe. And I would imagine, um, there's a few things that make this a pretty significant game on top of it being the first world series win for the Phillies. It was actually, um, still stands as the most watched game in World Series history. It had a peak television audience of 54.9 million viewers. That means one out of every roughly six or so Americans sat down to watch that game at the time. Which is crazy because Kansas City is not like a big baseball town. But they were really good at this time. Um, so they were actually the second expansion team and the first from the American League to appear in the World Series. Actually, the AL had to wait until 1985 before one of their expansion teams, who actually were the Royals, won the World Series. Um, so the Royals were, were pretty good at this time. I believe this would have been uh, George Brett, I want to say, would have been around. Besides George Brett, I don't really know who else would have been on the team. Um, I'm trying to think of who they would have had at this time. Uh, Obviously, they were good enough to be in the World Series, but I don't know who would have been on the roster. Yeah, well, we're about to find out because I am genuinely curious. I mean, George Brett alone was pretty amazing. He batted 390 in 1980, the season they went to the World Series. Uh, <laughs> 118 RBIs in just 117 games. Um, It's an impressive stat line. I feel like he's, I mean, it's tough to say someone who's in the Hall of Fame is underrated, but when you talk about, like, baseball greats, does George Brett, like, he ever one of, the, like, the first guys to come up? I feel like he's might be most famously known for like the incident where he gets tossed because there's too much pine tar. In his yeah, back. I don't think people. He's one of those people that I don't, and partly because he also played in Kansas City. I think he doesn't get the credit he deserves because looking at this stat line, so he was a first ballot Hall of Famer, got ninety eight point two percent of the vote in ninety nine, back in nineteen ninety nine. He batted three hundred five on his career, thirty one hundred hits, three hundred seventeen home runs, just just shy of sixteen hundred RBIs at one thousand five hundred ninety six. He spent a total of 20 seasons in Major League Baseball, all of which with the Kansas City Royals. 13-time All-Star, won the World Series in 85, was the AL MVP in 1980, the year they lost to the Phillies in the World Series, ALCS MVP in 85, won a Gold Glove in 85, three-time Silver Slugger in 80, 85, and 88, 
three-time AL batting champion in 76, 80, and 90, has his number retired by the, the Royals and is in their Hall of Fame as well as the National Hall of Fame. Wait, Brian, aren't we talking about how the Phillies won the World Series here? We are, but <laughs> but George <laughs> Brett is a pretty phenomenal... Uh, I know, we had to give him his due. Pretty phenomenal player that doesn't get the credit he deserves. He did it also bet 494 in one month, which is pretty ridiculous. That's wild. Um, this was also the first of five... The first of five World Series to ever be played entirely on artificial turf. The other next ones were 85 with the Royals, 87, 93, and 2020. So it had actually been 27 years before. Or seven, yeah, 27 years. So 2020 makes sense because that's the games are all at the um, Rangers New Ballpark. Yep. And they got the artificial turf down there. 93, the Phillies were still playing to the vet. And then that was when they faced the Blue Jays up in, it's what, the Rogers Center? Is that right? Yeah. That's, I believe it's the Rogers Center now. Uh, I still think of it as the Sky Dome. Um, which is what it was when I was growing up. And 85, 87. I, so the Royals were there, but I didn't know they had artificial turf. I guess they had an older stadium at that point. Yeah. I don't know who they played in 85 to win the World Series against. And I don't know who the 87 World Series featured. Yep, no clue. And we can, maybe that's for another day. Um, I do find, actually, I, ha- I have it right here. 87 World Series was the Minnesota Twins beating the St. Louis Cardinals in game seven. They won four to three. Um, that's pretty cool. Is that when Jack Mars pitched like 10 innings that night? I think so. I just closed out of that, so I don't fully know. Um, we can just go with it and make it sound good. Yeah, absolutely. So my, actually, I think my favorite fact about this whole game is that this is the first world series since 1920. So 60 years before this happened. And the most recent since it has been 43 years since the 80 world series, um, in which neither team had a previous world series title. As of 2022, this can only happen again if the Rays, Mariners, or Rangers face the Brewers, Padres, or Rockies in a future series. So those are there are only six teams total. Um, only three potential matchups. Well, not three potential matchups, but six yeah, teams. Like there's a lot of matchups. There. Yeah, that could uh could could have that happen again. So the fact that again, one of the really crazy things about baseball is that um, hundred some odd years of the sport. Granted. Looking at these teams, they are all newer in the grand scheme of sports. I mean, the Brewers have been are probably the oldest on this list, I would think. Followed by what the Padres, the Rangers, or Rangers. Padres, I think would be about the same time. And then the Rockies, they were in the nineties. Rockies and Rays kind of came in around the same time, and the Mariners, Rockies, Rays, Mariners. Well, Mariners are older than both. The Rockies and Rays, I think, I believe, came in around the same time. They might have like actually 95, been 95, 96. Yeah, um, they're right after the Marlins, right? Yes, actually, they were the same year as the Marlins, ninety three. So they both, the Marlins and the Rays or the Rockies, joined in the same year, and then the Rays go back to. Um, I don't actually now that I think about it, I don't know ninety eight. So the Rays started playing ninety eight. Okay, so the Rays are the newest franchise. Yes. Yeah. So, I think baseball. It'd be fun to see other teams, but I don't know if it can afford an expansion because you get deeper into some of these rosters and the talent dwindles pretty quickly. So from a professional standpoint, at least. I mean, I get the talent dwindles quickly, but I think part of it is because the owners don't want to spend. Yeah, I think there's more teams that kind of forces more teams to. Like, it's really a shame what like the Oakland A's are going through, like their fan base. Like they are a very like prominent franchise in baseball history. Very much so. I'm sad to see them. And like they're getting moved out of Oakland to Las Vegas, like because of a greedy owner. He, like, when you spend twenty five million dollars a year on a payroll, like, what do you expect to happen? And I understand, like, I've heard hit or miss things about Oakland as a 
place you want to go to catch a ball game and stuff, but like yeah, it looks like a dump of a ballpark at this point. They, they take no like, care of it. They just let it go. So Trevor May, um, pretty historically outspoken pitcher, he, former top Phillies prospect, was he? He sure was. Uh, okay, I remember him uh, as a Met. He I was think traded. Was largely what a twin actually? Because he he was a tw- he was on the Twins for a while and then Met. I'm trying but, to think what trade he was part of that sent him to the Twins organization. Um, that's a great question. While you're looking that up, um, I'll get into what he was. He was so he basically came out and tore apart the owner and said, "The fans deserve better. The team deserves better. The franchise deserves better." The owner of that team is only rich because his parents founded Gap, the clothing company. Must um, be nice. Yeah, not too shabby. And he just like he doesn't care. Like I think that if you are the, I understand is the owner is your team and your business. But I think as an owner of a sports team, you owe everything to the fans to do everything you can to get a winning team because you would be nothing and you would not have that investment if it were not for the fans. I mean, look at what John Middleton has done with the Philadelphia Phillies. The fact that he went actually out and spent money and gave Bryce Harper the contract he did, gave Zach Wheeler money, followed up two years later with Castellanos, Schwarber, and then Trey Turner this offseason and signing, re-signing JT Realmuto, like... The fact that they've now been this deep into the postseason two years in a row, like I'm pretty sure they've made their money back at this point and then some. And it's not like they're yeah, it's three hundred million dollars. I'm not trying to downplay the fact that some of those guys got that long of that much money, but because they spread it out over so much time, it's much more feasible for them to pay that type of contract and it allows the team to be better. And you're seeing the success that the Phillies are having because of it. Oh, they've definitely gotten their money back. I did uh, some quick math. It's not very hard math to do. That if for the playoff games, um, the Phillies sell out, which they have been, at $100 a ticket, which is definitely not the case. That's cheaper than any ticket that's available. They'd well, be, it'd be $4.8 million in ticket revenue every playoff game. So that's just face value to I remember. Mean, yeah. like, so like I know personally, like the le- I sat in uh, section 143, row 19, seats like 12 and 13, both games, and they were $95 a seat. Yeah. So that's left field. So, yes. $95 there. I'm sure it's like two, $300 behind home plate. Oh, yeah. First level, if not more. But then it's probably 50, 60 up top at face value. So yeah. I think 100 is a good even number just to base it off of. And then that trade I was talking about. So I had a feeling Vance Worley was involved somehow with the Twins. The Phillies sent Vance Worley and Trevor May to the Twins for Ben Revere. Ben Revere. Interesting. Vance Worley, that, that makes sense because Vance ended up pitching in Rochester while I was still living at home with my parents. Yes, yeah, so that was uh, December 6, 2012. Yep. So I remember him coming through Rochester briefly because he, he ended up being half decent for a little while. Nothing Vance Worley? Yeah, nothing crazy. So but. he was good for the Phillies at like 2011 year, and then 2012 he was pretty solid too, and then the Phillies needed an outfielder to replace Shane Victorino, so they went and sent Trevor May, who everybody was a little upset about because he had like a big-time arm but never panned out as a starter. No, I ended up being a pretty solid relief pitcher. To the, to the bullpen, and he just retired, what, the other day? So close to 10 years in the MLB. Yeah. I think that's a lot. You know, that's a pretty solid career for anyone, let alone a relief pitcher. Um, yeah, you're doing something right. Yeah, for sure. Uh, but he definitely he w- did not mince his words when it came to addressing the owner of the A's. I believe his name is John Butler. Um, he same. We're seeing the same thing in Pittsburgh. Uh, Bob Nutting uh, refuses to spend money. Um, they 
actually having to draft very well, it seems, in Pittsburgh, but they're like a farm team for the rest of Major League Baseball, as in their players get good and go elsewhere. Yeah, and they trade them with like a year or two left of team control. This way they can get as much of a return as possible. Yeah, Garrett Cole, Jameson Tyon. Tyon. Uh, I'm surprised they haven't traded Brian Reynolds yet. It's like only a matter of time. They signed him to a big extension. Yeah, that's right. They did sign him to the An extension. An eight-year, hundred-something million, because uh, he was the guy that... There was rumors that he might be available, and I would have loved to see the Phillies take a swing at him. But uh, knowing the Pirates before, because I feel like he had one or two years left of like team control before that extension kicks in. Yeah. It wouldn't surprise me if like before that extension does actually they kick move in. move him for something. Yeah, they move him to another team. I guess we'll find out. Yeah, only time will tell on that one. But uh, hey, enough baseball, Tom. We haven't even bridged on. Uh, granted, it is only week, what, week six in the NFL? Uh, week five. Week five? Yeah, five, because the Bills are three and two. Four yeah, so we're headed, week six. Headed to week six. So we're headed into week seven, aren't we? No. Yeah. Yeah, week seven, because week okay. six, the... Yes, yeah, so the Bills are yep. four and two. Um, but it's been an interesting season, because even there's there's a lot of parity in the league this year. It feels like... Yeah, we touched on in the beginning how the Eagles lost to the Jets. That was kind of a bummer. Um yeah. Niners took a loss to the Browns in Cleveland. The Bills almost blew it to the Giants. I mean, uh, I didn't watch that game because I was watching. The you you missed nothing. It was one of the worst football games I've ever watched in my life. Yeah, I swung for the uh, Astros and Rangers game one of the ALCS. Yeah, much better decision. Um, the Bills-Giants game was boring as all can all hell because of the offenses looked awful. Um, uh, an absurd amount of penalties and injuries. So like there was just choppy. It was just choppy. There was no real flow to pl- like the game. There was it another was like just, big time injury for the Bills, right? Didn't Damian Harris get? Yeah, Damian off, Harris like, got carded off, and, and it's just like it just it no, it's not it never ends. It's every week now. It was Tre'Davious White and his Achilles one week. The next week it's uh, Matt Milano breaking his leg and Daquan Jones out for likely the season. Who, so three of the top players on our defense. Yeah, guys are just dropping like flies all around the league. Unfortunately, like too. Yeah, it's all over. I mean, I know there's a lot of other uh, top picks in their league who are commiserating with me with Justin Jefferson hanging out on your IR now. Is I mean, there's a lot of debate that I saw on Twitter. Like, is he going to want to like come back? No, I was thinking about that earlier when I was looking at my fantasy lineup and the um, bye week mayhem i'm going through right now yeah rough week out there i may never see we may never see jefferson not may not see him on again on the field this year why would you your team is one and four they're two and two, two and two and four and four and looks they awful beat the bears last week to make them two and four you're not going anywhere i think he stays off the field hopes they tank out somehow and get him a drake may or a caleb williams to throw they're not gonna get caleb williams to so get him drake may to throw him the ball yeah, I mean, the Bears are 1-5, and five, so that's probably the most interesting team. Like, you have Justin Fields, but he hasn't really progressed. Like, they claim they're sticking, they're, they're standing behind him. My only thought is if you're the Bears, if you really do have any faith in Justin Fields, you hang on to that top overall pick, and you, you – or no, you don't hang on to it. You yeah, trade, you trade it, it for a because, King's ransom. Yeah, the chance to draft Caleb Williams, you definitely – you think you got a lot – you think you got a lot last year for the first-round pick. I think you're going to get a lot more. The talent level of Caleb Williams is far and away better than any of the prospects that you're seeing here. So there's a few interesting teams going into that Caleb Williams debate right now. The Panthers, they just drafted Bryce Young with, what, the first overall pick? Yeah, they traded up. So they're not going to take another quarterback. Nope. Um, looking up here, the Titans are 2-4. and four. That kind of puts them in the race. Which they very well could, but they've been spending 
decent draft capital on quarterbacks between Malik Willis and and uh, Will Levis, now but I think you can give up on either of those if you get the chance at a guy like Caleb or Drake. Yeah, for sure. Or, or even Phoenix. There's, Phoenix Jr. Yeah, the guy out of Oregon right now. Or no, uh, he's me, Washington. Washington. Yeah, he's the now the Heisman favorite. Um, but there are three teams below the Titans. They're at one and five, even with the Bears at one and five. So you have the Patriots sitting at one and five, which dangerous pick. Because I mean, like I, to me, it seems like you can give up on Mac Jones. Like I would just be. Done oh, with he's them. the worst. He's right now. He's the worst starting quarterback in the league by basically every statistic out there. You then have the Arizona Cardinals at one and five, which is no surprise. They've been pretty seemed like they were going into the year as like a rebuild year. They fired um Cliff Kingsbury, brought in Jonathan Gannon. It's kind of satisfying to watch him be a bad head coach. Yeah, I mean it, I don't even care. Is anyone I mean, surprised really? But he's kind of a douche. Yeah. What's up, Bird Gang? Um so I mean, they did just activate the practice window for Kyler Murray, so that makes things a little interesting. Yeah, I like, feel like, though, if they're in the position to draft Caleb Williams, they trade Kyler and take Caleb. And yeah, just, like, eat the contract on Kyler to be able to get the young quarterback. Who's the last team? You said one more one and five. Oh, the Giants. Correct. They just fell to one and five after losing to your Bills 14-9 on Sunday Night Football. Who are one of the teams who... This actually brings us to an interesting topic of conversation is Caleb, Caleb Williams has said that there's only, like, five teams who would go play for Anyone else will just stay in college because he doesn't need to come out. He's right, making he's millions of dollars. Yeah, that's the big thing with like the NIL and college now. It's like if you know a certain team is like at the top of the draft board and you know they're going to take a quarterback. If you're that like type of franchise quarterback in the future, you see think you are like if you're making a couple million playing for USC, like why not stay another year and hang out in Southern Cal and just enjoy yourself? Yeah, I don't know. I I don't like it. Like I get why it is the way it is, and like they deserve to have to make money off of their own name, image, and likeness. The yeah, NIL especially with sense. all of the stuff the colleges get to benefit from those players with nothing beforehand. Like it, yeah, but it was also, only, only right for the college athletes to get something. Also, though, the draft, though, is like it's there for a reason, and I feel like a real true competitor athlete winner is going to see that opportunity to get drafted by these bottom dwellers as a challenge. And not want to just take the cushy way into a sweet setup that's tailor made to what you want it to be, because that's not how the world that's not how the world works with normal people. Um, yeah, that's normal people. But how <laughs> yeah. often is that like type of situation going to come around when it's let's be honest, like the teams drafting at the top of the draft are usually there for a few years. Like it doesn't change overnight. Yeah, I mean you're 100 percent correct, but it. It could, but a lot of times it, it could though. You never know what's going to drive a team to the bottom like that. Whether it be injury, missing guys, um, it's not, you know, just bad year. Granted, you need to have a really bad year to end up with the first overall pick. So I think a great team that would entice Caleb Williams to come out would be the Vikings. Say they go yeah, and trade. You get to go throw for ju- throw to Justin Jefferson yeah, and Jordan, Jordan Addison. Yeah, your former teammate Jordan Addison. Like if you trade Kirk Cousins, like how good are the Vikings going to be the rest of the year? If I'm the Vikings, I think I punt on the season, trade Kirk Cousins, send him to a team like the Jets, who think they have a, according to Robert Saleh, the best defense in the league because they've quote unquote embarrassed like all of the offense. Yeah, he walked this year. he walked back that quote pretty quick. Yeah, I mean, like I get it. Like you're confident in your team. Like you're happy that you just beat the Eagles, but like. Come on, let's not act like you have the what is the eighty five Bears like one of the best defenses ever. They do have a heck of a defense, and they yeah they do. But their wins, on. I mean, their wins when you really go through the list, I mean, it's Josh Allen, 
Russell Wilson, which would have been impressive a few years ago, and Jalen Hurts. And that's not a bad list to beat. But then they've also lost. They've gotten smoked by Dak and the the Cowboys. And I'll be honest. So I think Jalen is, I don't know, it's too early to tell six games into the year, but he does not seem like he's progressing and taking another step forward. Seems like he's kind of, I don't want to say taking a step back, but he's kind of just like plateaued right now. I feel like defensive kind of figured out like the RPO. And I'll be honest, Sunday was the first like, actual Eagles game I've sat down and watched like the whole thing and they lost you picked a heck of a game to watch (laughs) so maybe I need to stop for the sake of Eagles fans so they don't all feel terrible each day because to me I don't get upset after one loss with an Eagles game I'm more upset that the Phillies just lost so that's just me I'll say baseball fan do you consider yourself like a big-time Eagles fan because my like the seven years I've known you now my guess would be probably no so they're definitely like third on my list. It's okay, that's kind of what I thought. It's Phillies and Flyers. I've played baseball and hockey my whole life. Like I've seen you up. in the reason I say that I've like I've seen you in Phillies gear, and we talk about the Phillies all the time. I've seen you in Flyers gear. I don't know. I don't recall ever seeing you wear like Eagles stuff really much ever. Yeah, I mean, I don't think I've owned an Eagles jersey since I was younger. Like, uh, it's just not my thing. Kind of like I mean, granted, Brian, you were you and I were very young when the '90s Bills happened. Yeah. But for me, it was the early 2000 Eagles. Sure. Losing three straight NFC Championship games. And then the fourth year, they win the NFC Championship and then lose to the, pa- it was the, Patriots. the Patriots. right? Yeah, Tom Brady and the Patriots. Um, so, like, as a kid, as a young kid, like 10 to That's a lot of 13 trauma. years old, like, <laughs> it was just like, well, this team just breaks my heart all the time. Why do I want to, and like, I don't want to do this anymore. So, it kind of, like, faded me away from them. And, like, sure. I loved watching all those games and i just remember like the heart the heartbreak afterwards yeah it just wasn't fun so i was like well i'm done with this like i'm that's fair i never i played one year of like flag football in like third fourth grade two years ago maybe but i just always play baseball i always play basketball played a lot of hockey so those were the things that i liked more and well i'm with i you know i'm with you because i i played football in eighth grade and that was about it i played flag football for a little bit um, I, I tried starting football young, I believe like third or fourth grade when they first let you get into it. And we had a practice where they, um, lined us up with like the older guys and it was like one of the Oklahoma drills or something. It was like my first day of contact football practice and I get matched up against the most athletic older, like he was my, he was two years older than me. He was my sister's age and this kid knocked my lights out and I never, I did not want to play anymore. Yeah. I wouldn't want to go back. Yeah. Either. I mean, kind of shitty, uh, situation. Part of my language. I've been a a little, a little more vulgar than I mean to be, so I do apologize. Um, but it kind of threw me off of football. But I think that my love of the game stems just from the fact that, like, I'm very proud of where I came from and, like, of where yeah, I'm Buffalo. from. Like, the I, Rochester. I, Rochester. Buffalo, yeah. I do have to clarify that with you people all the time down here, but I get it. People don't really know Rochester where it is. Um, but RIT, right? Yes, sir. Um, RIT, U of R. Some other, there's some fun stuff up there, uh, college wise. But it's, it's a great area. But it's like it. The Bills running our blood up there. But it's they're our team. Like we don't have a baseball team. Um, we have a couple of minor league teams up there that people do love to go out and support. But they're not like you're not. I'm not sitting there getting wild at a Rochester Red Wings playoff game because they don't make the playoffs very often. Uh, but also, it's not the same. Um, but the my I I'm realizing more and more. You know, especially the past couple of years with uh, you know shout out to you and Jose. I don't think I would have ever fully gotten into the Phillies as early as I did if it weren't for you guys. And just like our, you know, the passion that was there, but it's really reignited my love for the game of baseball. And 
I, I've realized just more and more how much I miss it and how much I appreciate the game. And it's by far my favorite sport, but the Bills are my favorite team because they're, they are my hometown team. The Phillies are my adopted team. They're a definite number two. Um, but, like, football's not my favorite sport. It's great to watch. I think football's fun to watch. That's my thing. I just, like, enjoy watching football. Uh, football's the one sport where I will sit down and, like, just throw on any two teams. Base, I, yeah, baseball I, I do, do occasionally. Um, like, I won't sit down and watch a hockey game. I really don't sit down and watch basketball. But, like, I'll, I'll have football on all day. Even college now I start to watch. But baseball is definitely my, my favorite. I can talk about it all day. Um, we'll go to a game any chance I get. It's just there's there's such a deeper like connection for me with the game of baseball, and it's something I've it's in my blood. I mean, I was playing from the minute I could walk, and my dad dad loved it. Grandpa grandpa loved it. I could connect with my brother and my cousins, and it's just something that we've all had. It's just a shared. It is America's game to me. Yeah, you and me both. Like I, well, football I, is definitely America's game, but yeah, it's, it's taken over. It's definitely to me. It's like that the, the history of it is. Yeah, like MLB is always known it. as the the pastime here. Yeah, America's America, pastime. It seems like it's it's a global game, but um, unfortunately, it seems like here in America that the NFL has definitely surpassed the MLB. I don't think there's any way to debate that at this point anymore. It's the high flying action, and it's the short spurted act, high flying short spurts of action. Yeah, like you have to get people's attention. I mean, so it's tough to say like you have to commit so much time to baseball, but you commit like almost just as much time to the NFL. Like you commit more time almost to the NFL now with the way the pit with the pitch clock and stuff. Today's game went very quickly. Yeah. First pitch was five Oh seven. It was done around what? Eight o'clock about eight o'clock. I would say, uh, wherever we sounded really disappointed on our, our, our podcast here. That was about like 15 it. minutes ago, 20 minutes. Yeah, so, I mean, it's either way, you know, it's they're beautiful. They're all they're beautiful games in their own right. And I think it appeals to everybody. It appeals to a lot of people, um, but I prefer red zone. Honestly, like I would, I would prefer to sit down and watch red zone on a Sunday afternoon compared to an Eagles game. I'm honestly at the point though, where like, even as a diehard bills fan, I almost agree with you. Like I'm tired of sitting through bills games, with just like the constant anxiety and agita of the game because it makes, it doesn't make any difference in my life, but I just, they're just, it's so ingrained in me at this point that, it like physically upsets me and I'm like, just, I don't love something good about red zone. It's just like all these like good plays that happen. It's like, all right, like I like that. And I feel like, you know, NFL has become so like fantasy football driven. Yeah. And betting too has taken a big betting has got a big portion of that as well. And I feel like red zone just, you know, really takes over both those topics because like, oh, my guy just scored a touchdown. All right, now because this guy just scored a touchdown, that means my bet's winning. Or, yeah, here's two more yeah. touchdowns and I took the over on this game. Like, very are looking spot. good. Red Zone definitely scratches an itch for the fantasy football sports betting crowd because you're you're constantly in the action. And I'm here for it. I get it. Like, I'd love me some fantasy football. I, very, I really do. It's something I've been doing as long as I can remember. Big fantasy football fan. But, like... I can't sit and watch all the games. And you only get one or two on at a time anyway. Yeah, you get two at most between Fox, CBS, in the 1 o'clock and yeah. 4 o'clock slot, and then there's one game on the other state, one of those stations, and yeah. vice versa. So, so Red Zone is definitely the move if you're trying to get the most bang for your buck with football. Now, before we wrap up here tonight, Brian, I forgot sure. one more team that is in just 
complete disarray. So those Denver Broncos, one in five, Sean oh, Payton came yeah. in. Russell Wilson is supposed to resurrect them after the bad year with Nathaniel Hackett. Like, if I mean, they paid him so much money, and it's a lot of guaranteed money, too. Like, what do you do if you're the Broncos? Do you so, just, like, I don't know, cut him and eat all the dead cap space and hope you're the top pick for that Caleb Williams? You paid him so much money, and you gave up so much to get him. That's a very tough, big pill They traded a number of picks. They traded Drew Locke and Noah Fant. And uh, yeah. Shel- what is it? Shelby something. Shelby something. I don't know, but Greg Dolch is the tight end that like they had high hopes for. He like he can't stay on the field healthy. So yeah. like, Noah Fant, like I don't think he's done much in Seattle, but still like yeah. the loss of a, a younger player like that, it, it hurts. Drew Locke just got boxed out by Geno Smith, so it's he's not doing anything. So yeah, they lost out on some younger players, but but like you'd be in the same. They'd the be worst in, part is the contract, in my opinion. They would be in the exact same position right now with Drew Lock at quarterback that they're in with Russell Wilson. They just have so much more money tied up to Russell, way more. And they honestly, they need to just burn it all down and start over. Like, and then I'm sure they paid a boatload to Sean Payton to get him out of retirement too. Well, and that, and then I believe if I remember correctly, they traded a draft pick to New Orleans still held his rights because he, his contract was intentionally up with them. Right. So they traded a draft pick or something to New Orleans to bring him over. Honestly, yeah, it's just a dumpster fire out there in Denver. Burn it down. I need Cortland Sutton as the number two in Buffalo. Uh, That'd be <laughs> nice behind opposite Stefan Diggs. Make Gabe Davis like a big time vertical play through yeah. wide receiver three. And just, uh, just burn it down. That's all I got to say. Like they, I mean, they, they cut Randy Gregory. They cut Frank Clark. Um, I mean, those are two big pass rushers for them that they had a lot of money tied up in. Gregory but, went and signed with the Niners, is that right? I, I think they like so, traded yeah. him. They like swapped late round picks and sent Gregory to the Niners. Something along those lines, and then Clark, I believe, He's back with like the Chiefs. Chiefs, yeah. Um, they're clearly burning it down. I feel bad for Broncos fans, but I don't because they've had they've had great teams for years. Yeah, um, they've had. I mean, you get John away to win back to back Super Bowls. That's pretty cool. And you just bring in Peyton Manning, who casually leads you to another. Another Super Bowl, two Super Bowl appearances. Yeah. So, I mean, you've had your fun. Um, That's the beauty of the NFL is it goes in waves. Like, the Patriots have had plenty of fun. It's all, it's more than time Yeah, I mean, almost 20 suffer. years of, like, straight dominance. Yeah, it's more than time for them to suffer. I enjoy watching uh, Bill Belichick have an awful team. It's really just bringing my soul a lot of good. Bill Belichick needs to be head coach and not GM. GM Bill I agree. Belichick really just Honestly, like shoots himself in the foot. I also think though that I think Belichick just needs to go right off into the sunset. Yeah, You've had a good career. Hang it up. You've had a good career for the most part. Don't paint your legacy any further than it already kind of is because he does have a I don't know semi tainted uh, with the flake gate, which and uh, the way he handled his Jets to uh, what was it the Jets? He was supposed to take the Jets head coaching job or had just taken it and then flipped and went to the Patriots like a few days later and yeah to me that just kind of sat doesn't wouldn't sit right if I was a fan of the Jets no me neither and I mean seemed like he didn't have much of a good career with the Browns seemed like he was very young still learning the the I mean dude's had a good long career he's been in the NFL for 40 something years I think it's just time to call it yeah I'd be happy happy with calling it quits at this point he's he's a hall of famer he's gonna get all the he's got Gonna get all the accolades. He's gotten all the accolades you can get in his his position, his field. I think his hundreds just go. I mean, he's seventy one years old. Too. He, honestly, though, he, I imagine he's one of those guys. He just doesn't know anything else. So, like, he, what what is he gonna do when he leaves the game? He, like, nothing. I don't know. So, and he just broke up with his girlfriend uh, not too long ago. So, and now he's got a lot of free time. 
Uh, just go find a golf course somewhere. Move down south. Oh, He'll be fine. Go help Robert Kraft. He knows a good massage parlor too. Um, Robert. <laughs> but with that, I think it's a, probably a good place to wrap up. Yeah, before our the show train this gets week. off the tracks any further. Yeah, we can we can keep it rolling if you want a little uh, after hours. Visit uh, join our Patreon. Just kidding. We are not uh, not accepting any donations just yet. Well, not that we're not. I'll drop my Venmo if you really want to send me some money. <laughs> yeah, at Going Back Pod. Yeah, at find Go- us on Twitter. <laughs> Yeah, she just Instagram, uh, Facebook. Yeah, absolutely. As Tom said, check us out on Facebook, Instagram, and Twitter at Going Back Pod to check in to see when the newest episodes are coming out. We are trying to be one per week, but life does get in the way. Um, whether it's getting tough or it's going to the playoff games. Um, yeah, we just yeah. got to figure out a way to do the uh, virtual recording. I with know, each other. we sure do. Once we do, then we'll definitely be guaranteed every week. I would I'm like less to think. technologically savvy than I probably should be. And that makes two of us. So, uh, yeah, you know, combined age of 60 years old, we're ancient over here. Yeah, I'd say. Uh, <laughs> but either way, appreciate you guys checking us out one more uh, for yet another week. Let us know what you want to hear about, if there's any fun stories, or if there's something we're missing, a sport you want to hear about. We got time. We got interest. Let us know. We'd love to hear from you. Um, Please, yeah, check us out wherever you find your podcasts and on social media, Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram at Going Back Pod. Tommy, you got anything for us before we head out today? Yeah, the quote from last time was from the Big Lebowski, that rug really timed the room together. Um, don't have any quotes for like a movie tonight, but just something. Unfortunately, I was hoping this number was different, but the Phillies did lose tonight, so it stays the same. Six more topper. Six more topper. Hey, and I like the big Lebowski quote because, as always, you know, the dude abides. The dude. Uh, All right, guys. Go Phils. Go Phils. Six more topper. We'll catch you next week here on Going Back, Back, Back. Peace.